If you've been coming, past few weeks we have been looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. And because they convened on what day? July 1st, 16, which year? 43. War began a few months before 42, end of summer. Um, so it is my humble attempt to teach the church, you, the things that I have seen. And it took me long time to appreciate this document. So I thought it would do well for me to introduce this great heritage that we have in this tradition, Reformed and Presbyterian Church. So I've been trying. But let me try once more to draw your attention today to the larger catechism. Most of people cannot even pronounce the word catechism. And here I am trying to explain to you who come to the church after a long week but the reason why I, I was so interested in this past few months and the history and the context is because I realize since 2020 or so, history matters. We are not the first church dealing with all the issues that we see in the world that we experience. Churches of Christ, Church of Christ for past 2,000 years, they have experienced everything that we have experienced so far. So I wanted to see how the church dealt with the issues. Pandemic, we are not the first one. War, we are not the first one. Inflation, we are not the first one. The worldview changing, we are not the first one. The church has been facing the issue, issues for 2,000 years. So as I've been reading and studying all these things, it, it's been, it, it helped me so much. Maybe it, it is not showing immediately, but we'll try again today. And larger catechism. If you would look at that, pa that page, you will realize something different. So I am giving you the first question of the larger catechism, and there is shorter catechism. Um, and the larger catechism, question one, and the shorter catechism, question one, they are basically the same. But the larger is often neglected. Uh, even as I look at myself, I really don't know much of larger catechism. Usually it's confession and the shorter. But this spring, as I've been studying the whole standards, especially uh, the confession, I realized a few things. And I am giving you John Bauer's critical text. What that means is John Bauer collected the very first few editions available, searching the documents, and they have, he had put this together. So if you own any kind of Westminster Confession of Faith, the book, you will not see the heading. But in the first few editions, this is how they said it. And as far as I'm aware, as his book says, and it has many copies of the first editions, there are no numbers. Question one, two, three, those numbers are missing. So they are provided by the 
the later generation of people trying to give the reference. So it begins like this, not with the very first question, but it gives us the context. To the right honorable, the lords and commons, assembled in parliament. What are we talking about? English parliament. And the divines, the theologians, pastors who wrote this, they are presenting this to whom? To the politicians. The humble advice and the, the spelling is the, the old spelling. Advice of the assembly of divines sitting at Westminster. West, Westminster Abbey. There, the politicians sitting across the street in the Westminster Palace. But they wrote this at the uh, Westminster Abbey concerning a larger catechism. I've never encountered this. But once you read this, you see the, the historical context. And question, there's no number. So Q, question, what is the chief and highest end? That is the purpose of man is the first question. Answer is this. Man's chief and highest end is what? To Glorify God and larger catechism says fully to enjoy Him forever. And A and B, they are the proof texts, which I am not going to read at this time. What I want to do today is to give you the last historical background. And we'll talk about this question, number one, in general, up to glorifying God, to glorify God. And I have decided to talk to you about enjoying Him forever next Sunday. July, we have five Sundays. And I just basically made that decision to break this into two sessions because I have found out something this week about enjoying Him forever. But we'll get to that. Two Sundays ago, I didn't want to complicate the matter, but the assembly, Westminster Assembly, produced more than the Confession and Two Catechisms. They produced a whole lot more than that. If you have OPC Confession of Faith, I have PCA version and OPC version, two books, small books. If you have those, you will not notice that because they only contain the confession and the larger and shorter catechism. But the Westminster Assembly from 1643 they began, they began their work, but they produced these documents. And let me just, just give you the headings, and you could just hear it. Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, Larger Catechism, and the Directory for Public Worship, the Directory for Family Worship, Some of Saving Knowledge, to the Christian reader, especially heads of families, 
Mr. Thomas Menton's epistle to the reader, that is really not the assembly's work, but usually attached to the confession, and the form of Presbyterian church government. When I went to uh, Van Dixon's house, and as, I, as he was teaching us about these things, I wanted to see what kind of confessional book he would use. So he was sitting right here, and he had two, two, two books in front of him. And if you, if you find someone, whatever your field, you want to know. If you, if you are a golfer, if you meet someone famous, you want to see what kind of club he uses. So Van Dixon is sitting here. I want to see what kind of confession, Westminster Confession book that he's using. And to my surprise, he was not using OPC book, you know, even though he, was a, he is an OP minister. But he has something with a black cover and another one. I will mention probably next, next time. But they, all those things that I've just mentioned, which is really out of order, they are contained in this book produced by the Banner of Truth 2018. And when I was buying this book this, this spring, I didn't know why it cost about, would cost about $30. I thought that's, that's pretty expensive for the Westminster Confession. But when I received it, it was pretty thick, as you could see. It's not our black, you know, Westminster Confession. And I, be, I just looked at it, some of the headings, and there are these documents that I've just mentioned. Well, obviously, I've known the Directory for Public Worship and Family Worship for a while, but... Until 2018, those documents were only available online. Why? Because nobody's buying these things. In 2018, the Banner of Truth, basically, they reproduced what Van Dixon had on his desk, on his side. The black cover, basically the same one, published by the Free Church of Scotland. And it has all these associated documents. And among those, you will find the Solemn League and Covenant. What does that mean? Basically, if you are interested in these things, if you have chance and money, buy this. It is out of print, by the way, I checked. I don't know why it is, it, this is out of print. Maybe no one's buying it. Uh, but this one has all kinds of uh, historical documents. So I googled it. And I found the Westminster Confession, which was published in the 1800s in Google Books or, you know, the copy. And basically, when they were selling the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1800s, you will find the whole thing. Not just the confession and two catechisms, but they will give you the whole package of all the associated documents. But anyway... It is very interesting when you read all kinds of stuff that is in them. So by that. So let me give you some of the, the headlines first. 1643, July 1st, the assembly meets. And what did they do? They formed three committees. It's not simply people arguing, but they delegated topics onto three sets of three different groups. So they were gather by themselves, by that, that each group, and they will work on these topics, and they will gather together, and they will debate and vote. That's how they wrote this. First thing, their task was to revise what? 39 articles of Church of England. 
So three months, they walk on it, but the solemn league and the covenant was signed between English Parliament and the Scottish Parliament because they will form a union to fight against King Charles. So once that covenant was signed, they said, the Parliament said to the divine, stop doing what you've been doing and produce these things. And the very first thing they walked on was the church government. Not the confession. Why? Because that Church of England, the structure and the hierarchy is basically Roman Catholic Church. So as I was reading this, I found out more about the context. And the parliament is the one who is renouncing that old church government. So basically they banned it. So first thing they asked the divines to do is to come up with a biblical system of church governing, governance, church government. And they come up with Presbyterian form of church government. So first document they produce is the church government and also the directory for public worship. Once again, the context is the government has just banned people, the Church of England, using their own liturgy. Church of England liturgy. So you come up with new guidelines for public worship. So they produce, before they walk on the confession, they produce the form of church government and the directory for public worship. And sometime in six, uh, 1645, they resume those confession of com faith committee. They, they once again, they resume their work. 45, 46, they finish the confession. First one, confession. But the house says, you know, with that confession, we want you to put proof texts. And the divines were angry. Because it was already hard enough to debate and produce this confession. And the parliament says, they sent him back. They sent it back to them and saying, we need scripture proofs on everything that you are saying. So they said, okay. <laughs> and they had to de debate and attach it. So um, Westminster Confession is completed and handed off, presented to the parliament on 1647 on April 29th. And following that larger catechism, set 47, shorter catechism, 1647, but once again, at the end of 1647, House says, sending those catechisms back to the divines, and guess what they said? Attach the proof text. And they said, okay. And for next six months, they are debating the proof text. Imagine that. All in all, larger catechism alone contains 3,600 verses. I didn't count it, says it in the book. 3,600 verses on the larger catechism alone. Confession has 2,800 verses in the confession. So this is what I'm saying. It is hard enough already to come up with the confession and the catechism. But the parliament is actually full of Puritans. They are not simply politicians. They are serious about reforming the Church of England and 
coming up with consensus with three, three kingdoms. So, because they are serious Christians who are sitting in the parliament, they are saying, pastors, we need some scriptural proofs. We need to know whether this is from you or from God. And for that, I don't know, from November 30th, 1647 to 48 March, they are debating the proofs and that's what we have. So 47, 1647 is the Westminster Confession of Faith, 48 is the Catechisms. But depending on how you see the proof text, our OPC version would say 46 is the Westminster Confession, 47 is the Catechism. But I would say no, proof text, that is the end of matter. So 1653, the whole thing ends. Now let me give you some, some another historical background uh, of the Catechisms. If you only have Westminster Confession and larger and shorter chism, even having that book alone says a lot about you. But we don't know, people don't know, what the context was about the catechism. Now we are, we are, we are putting the confession aside and I am talking about the catechism. What is catechism? Catechism is basically a form of instruction. Which form is that? You ask the question and you provide answer. And that form of catechizing people, which actually began in the second century. So, so they are not the first ones who came up with that method. Charge. From the earliest times, they've been educating people. And they had to go through that catechism, catechizing, catechumen, for three years before a person was able to uh, go through the baptism. Three years you have to study whatever that they were teaching at the turn of the very first century. But the immediate context during that time was this. From 1570 to 1660, about that 100 year span of time, about 500 catechisms were published in London. 500, about 100 years, 500 catechisms were published, ranging for the toddlers to the advanced people, just like today. Nineteen, 1640s, when they, they were gathering, 1643, but 1640s, about 40 new catechisms were in the market, and they were very popular. And the older catechisms were coming out again with fresh new additions. So when the assembly gathered, 40, 43, 45, 46, 7, they're producing these documents, guess what was happening? People knew the assembly was producing the documents. And it was forbidden for the pastors to leak it or leak them to the press. But the market was already, during the war, full of catechisms. So they were under pressure. The Westminster divines, as they were sitting, they knew if they produce something that is mediocre, um, they would be embarrassed. One of the members of that Westminster Assembly was Herbert 
Palmer. And Herbert Palmer was basically, at the time, the most noted catechist in England. His version of catechism was the bestseller. And he's sitting in the Westminster Assembly. So guess what the assembly did? They said, let's form a committee for the catechisms. And why don't we put someone in charge? Oh, look, Harvard is here. He's a best-selling pastor. So why don't you be the head of the committee and, and give us catechism? So that's what they did. So they worked on it for about a year. But 1647, January 14th, they said, stop and let's scrap that plan. And they said, let us begin anew. Forget about updating Harvard Palmer's version of catechism. And we need to come up with two catechisms that will reflect the confession that we just produced. So it is better to start a new program. Let's start a new Catechism, two, one, two. One for the children, which is shorter catechism, for children and the uninstructed, and the larger for those who are more advanced in the faith. So Harbor Palmer is replaced with someone. Can you guess who that person is? The name that I've been saying a few times. Anthony Tuckney. Once again, nobody really knows except for that book that just came out a few years ago. Anthony Tuckney is the editor of the Confession and the Larger Catechism and Shorter Catechism. He's the one who has given us the final product of the Confession. So that's what happens with uh, the with, uh, historical context. And once it came out, because it reflected the confession and its language, and um, it, it was successful. A few months ago, in our New Horizon, I forget, probably February 1, Chad Van Dixon said on the Westminster Confession of Faith was the, the theme of that month. You could go back and read it and see the difference between confession Larger catechism, shorter catechism, what is the difference? Now again, another quick background. Have you ever wondered? Basically, larger I'm using larger catechism 1, question 1. But you are familiar with the shorter catechism 1, right? What is the chief end of men? Have you ever wondered, wondered where did that come from? I always thought about it. I mean, where did that question come from? Isn't that a great question? A couple of years ago, I found the answer, the only answer that was available. It was written by B.B. Warfield of Old Princeton Seminary. And he basically says this, where, where did this come from? This, that great question, and this is how he describes the first question, shorter catechism, though I'm using larger, basically the same thing, and I am sure you will agree with him. B.B. Warfield says, regarding the Shorter Catechism 1, no catechism begins on a higher plane than the Westminster Shorter Catechism, its opening question and its answer. It sets the learner at once in his right relation to God. 
withdrawing his eyes from himself, even from his own salvation, as the chief object of concern, it fixes them on God and his glory and bids him seek his highest blessedness in him. Right. That very first question is important. Think about it. From the Westminster Divine's perspective, how do you teach people? Not with the confession of faith. In the beginning, Thomas Menton has the uh, uh, instruction to the reader. He basically says, you need to start from the shorter. Read the shorter catechism. Then move on to the larger. And then move on to the confession. So when the divines, they set out to write a new catechism, they wanted to ask the very first question to the people. Good question. And they asked, what is the chief and the highest end of man? They don't say, what do you need to do to be saved? What must we know about God? No, they, this is not the question. The question is, basically, what are you living for? That's a good question. Everyone, everyone, all of you, even children, as you grow older, you, we all ask that question. What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose? And what B.B. Warfield is saying is that that question takes one's eye off of him. Though salvation is great and causes him to look unto God and for his glory as his chief end. And B.B. Warfield points us to one person. And that person, his name is, guess, what, guess who that might be? We'll take a wild guess. Where did they get this idea, this question? He says, Calvin, John Calvin. So it's been a while that I, after I read that, that, that chapter in his book. So I looked it up. John Calvin Catechism. John Calvin, like any other pastor, he wrote his catechism called Geneva Catechism. First question he asked this, and this is Q&A. It says, minister asks this question and child answers it. Minister, what is the chief end of human life. Child answers, to know God. That's what Calvin wanted to teach his church. What's the chief end of man? That's a good question. I looked it up. Herbert Palmer, right? He said he was the most famous catechist sitting actually in the assembly. What did he write? So I looked it up, Googled it, to see if he, I could find something that he said. Question one, Herbert Palmer, he said, What is a man's greatest business in this world? A man's greatest business in this world is to glorify God and to save his own soul, he said. I've been reading also John Owen. They all overlap. All these people, they all overlap. John Owen was too young to join Westminster Assembly. 
He was a scholar. He was a student. He went into Oxford University when he was 12. But the war began, and William Laud does that, that the, the bishop changed a few things. So he basically got out of that school, and he was pastoring a church at this time. John Owen wrote his own catechisms. So everybody wrote catechisms. And I found it in the first volume at the end. So I looked it up. What did he say? He has two catechisms. But he asked this question, what is the end of all this dispensation? The glory of God in our salvation. But he will put that at the end of his catechism. Catechisms, two. There are two. So now, with that in mind, I've spent already uh, much time. So I will just make a few comments up to glorifying God. God. What is the chief and highest end of man? How can you find the right answer to that question? If you're a Christian, the answer is obviously what we, we agree with this statement. But even to the non-believers, what's the purpose of your life? That's a good question. That's an evangelistic question. So we say the right answer to that question is given only through the revelation of God. Why? Because chief end of man must coincide with God's design, the purpose of his design of his creation. So, because we are creatures, man cannot, on his own wisdom, ever find out the meaning of life unless God, the creator, the maker, tells you what that design is all about. So, that's basically our answer. Good question, but the answer has to be, it has to come from God's word. And the chief end, highest end, is to, for today, glorifying God. We know what that means, really. I mean, we often talk about glorifying God. Thomas Vincent, 1633 through 1678, wrote his explanation to the Shorter Catechism. And John Owen and Thomas Watson and other people gave the endorsement. And he said, he asked this second question. May man have no other chief end than the glorifying and enjoying of God? He's basically saying, so okay, that's a good question and answer, I agree. But do I really every day always have to be concerned with glorifying God? I mean, I need to live my life. And oftentimes when we deal with the larger catechism, but especially shorter catechism one, we think we know what that means. But Vincent, I appreciate his answer. He has many. But second answer is this. Man ought to have no other chief end than glorifying of God, but they may have subordinate ends. 
Men ought to be diligent in their particular callings for this end, that they may provide for themselves and their families. I appreciate this answer. He is also a Puritan. And he is not simply saying, you know, glorify God and enjoy God. That's all you are supposed to be doing. I mean, we agree fundamentally, but Thomas Vincent gives us more nuanced and practical everyday life answer. And I I did really enjoy his answer. He's saying, yes, that's the chief end, but you could also pursue your life. Why? Because you need to provide for yourself and your families. So we tend to think glorifying God and enjoying God as religious one. But it really is a stumbling block as we live our daily lives. It's just, I don't have time for that. How can I do that when I live in New York City? That's a, that's a good question, really. Two weeks from now, I'll try to answer some of the questions. Why should we live a holy life? What advantage is there when the church, the Bible, pastor, basically they all tell me to live a godly life? When, in fact, if I do that, I will be defeated in the world. So I think that's a good question. I'll try to answer that in a couple of Sundays from now. But Vincent says this, and it appreciated me in, in applying glorifying God. How do you glorify God? You could give, there's no right one single answer. But based upon that Vincent, I would say this. Try to find the ways in which you can glorify God within the bounds of His calling in your life. That is a solid answer to that, that, that question. Therein lies your happiness and fulfillment of your life and enjoying God. We often think about in glorifying God as the grand task. Something that the most successful people, Christians and churches could do. But for me, I I don't know if God could be glorified with my life. I don't know if God is glorified with this church. Or the vocation that I have. Because after all, it is not impressive. I think that's, honestly, that's what I think many people, including myself, will feel like. The mega churches, the big churches, those people, they glorify God. But for us, we are just trying to survive. But Vincent, his answer really got me thinking. I want to and I need to glorify God in the setting that God has given me and you. We are here, but thinking, thinking about some other institutions, some other agenda, some other things will basically crush us. And there, 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 there is no way you could glorify God as long as you are thinking in that way. But if you could forget about everything else, focus on your life, your calling, whatever that is, whatever that might be. But as a church, this church, how can I glorify God in this in this setting. And glorifying God and enjoying God is not a separate entity. They are joined together. You glorify God and 
you'll enjoy it. You enjoy God and that's glorifying God. So how can I, how can you have satisfaction in your life? You, know, you cannot look outside of your life thinking about that life, that life. But wherever you are, think. That's your homework. How can I glorify God as who I am 2022 July here. That's your happiness. That's how you glorify God. And God knows and the divines, they know it's not simply mental activity. It involves whole being. And that's, that's highest, that's your highest and permanent blessedness. In communion and in service of God. Not simply on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. How can I? How can I? Think about that. To glorify God. Because you are designed by God in such a way that any other way in your life trying to get some satisfaction will not work, as you know. It will be fleeting. It will disappear. But to glorify God in whatever, however, that's the focus. That's the chief and the highest end of all of us as a church too. Next Sunday, I will talk to you about enjoying God. No commentator really speaks on it. They all talk about the glorifying God and they skip over the enjoying God part. So this is your homework. Next week, come. Think about what does that mean, enjoying God? I found out. <laughs> I cracked it yesterday. So I will, I will present to you my way of looking at that answer. Following Sunday will be my answer. What's the point of living a holy life? And in August, we'll resume Philippians. Let's pray. Oh, God.